Hey guys, Jack here. I've got some good news and some bad news. Uh, the bad news is you won't be hearing from me this week, uh, but the good news is actually much better. Uh, instead, Zach is hosting Ryan the Plant, uh, who recently won the $565 PLO event at the World Series of Poker. Uh, Ryan is a tournament expert. He's got over a million dollars in live tournament winnings. And uh, he's coming on the show to discuss a couple of hands he played uh, just after the World Series. So, yeah. And then we're also going to be releasing an interview uh, slash discussion that Zach and Ryan did in a separate podcast. So, yeah. Enjoy. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Zach. How are you doing today, man? You know, I'm doing all right. Not too shabby, live and well, and playing poker. How about yourself? Uh, yeah, it, exactly the same, except uh, minus the poker part, but that's why I am here talking to you today. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, not everyone can be playing, you know, but you know, if you're not playing right now, you could at least be thinking about it or talking about it. Well, I'm not currently playing, you know, I'm taking a little bit of time off and relaxing. I did play pretty recently, had some pretty fun hands to discuss. Cool. Well, yeah, let, let's hear him. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, let's see here. So the first hand, I was playing some 2-5 No Limit at Pottawatomie Casino in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, I sat down pretty recently at a table, and at first it was a must-move, but when these hands occurred, it turned into a main game, and it was a really good main game. Um Table had like two weaker uh, two weaker regs, um, and then everyone else was a recreational player or a very weak recreational player. So it was a very, very, very good game. Definitely see ever exist in Vegas. So it was very nice to sit down at. And as was my first time playing live cash in about two and a half months, I'd only brought about $1,000 as I was just going to play two $500 bullets. However, when I saw this table... I played at it. I was very, very upset that I was that I only brought one grand on me and that I wasn't going to stay for longer than like five hours. Anyway, so the first hand, this gives you an idea as to how the table's playing out. Um, there's two early position limpers, um, a limper from MP2. I am in cutoff with queen jack off. I overlimp, small blind completes, and big blind checks. Um, and the Whoa. opponents in the hands... The yeah, first sorry. limper is a very weak recreational player. Second limper is one of the weaker regs. Um, everyone else is weak recreational player. Um, so the third limper, is, uh, the third limper is also a very weak recreational player. Um, so the flop is. Wait, wait, Ryan, 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 Before before yeah. we get to the flop, um, do you yeah. have any more detailed information about these opponents? So, like, I know you're saying like weaker recreational player or weaker reg. But do you have any, you know, information more specifically about their pre and post flop tendencies? Like, weaker regs, just like they do a lot of, they do a lot of things that the weak recreational players do, which is, you know, limp a lot, over limp a lot. They don't really have, you know, well built ranges. They play face up in a lot of spots. And if you pay any attention to what they're doing, you can very easily exploit them. And the only reason why they're really regs in that game is because there's a lot of very weak uh, recreational players who are just punting off stacks to them. Um, it was a really, really, really soft game. All the weaker recreational players were doing some very silly things like, you know, betting tiny when they were bluffing or betting tiny when they were very weak. You know, just like 
anything yeah. that you think of weak recreational player, that's what they were doing. Like so, across the board, everyone was doing that. It was a very good game. Yeah, it sounds really nice. So, uh, so you raised over three limpers with the queen jack offsuit, uh, right? I overlimped. Oh, you overlimped. Over-limped. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Good. I'm, so I'm, I, I'm glad I, th- I clarified that. Okay. I think like. Uh, speaking of which, I think raising there is probably fine in this game. Um, honestly, the only reason why I didn't is the raise sizings that it would require for me to get folds would have been pretty large. And also with the way that people were playing, you know, some of these guys overlimping could overlimp some pretty strong hands. So even though I blocked some pretty strong hands, and I think Queen Jack offs a fine hand to ISO with there. Um, seeing as how I didn't have a lot of money on me and I didn't want to up my variance in that spot. I wanted to stay in the game and keep playing, essentially almost approaching it as I might like a live tournament where, you know, when I have two options, if one's more profitable, much higher variance, I'm going to tend to stick to the lower variance line just so I can realize my equity more often. Um, And also just, you know, just minor edge passing. You know, if I if I'd had three grand on me and I was planning on playing all night, I'm definitely popping this like sixty bucks. That's about what it would have required for me to get heads up with one of essentially a heads up with one opponent or three ways. But if I'd made it like forty bucks, I guarantee you it's going four or five ways almost a hundred percent of the time in this game. Which says how amazing of a game it is. It was really a very exactly, good game. Yeah. So And what are the, over- what are the effective what are the effective stacks with some of the players? Um, pretty much everyone's sitting between four and eight hundred. I've got about five fifty ish. Um, most people are sitting within that range. And is um, it a five hundred cap game? No, it's a one k cap game. One k cap. Okay. Yep. So I overlimp. So we see the flop six ways. Um, flop is uh, the rake is ten percent plus. There's a uh, a. B- so a uh, pot on the flop is 26, and flop is... Oh, wait, 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 six. wait, you said 10%, you cut out for a second, is it 10%, what's the cap? 10% capped at 4 with a $1 BBJ drop. Might oh. be capped at 5. Yeah, yeah. so okay. the rake on the flop is 4 bucks. so pot size on the flop is 26, and the flop is jack 6-4 with the jack 4 of spades and the 6 of hearts. Okay. So it checks to me. I bet 20 into 26, and I get four colors. Seems about right. So just just to recap for everyone, uh, in this hand are currently small blind, big blind, three limpers all out of position to you, and then you're in the cutoff with queen jack off, six-way pot. Yep. Okay. Yep, and we we do have the queen of hearts, which I guess matters a little bit, but we have queen jack off suit. Um, Wait, why does the the heart matter? It's two spades on the board. Uh... Spades one heart, and you'll find out why the heart matters. Although okay. I end up not really having it matter that much as far as my decision process, but um, so it, yeah. So I get four callers. I don't remember who folded. I'm pretty sure the small blind. I'm pretty sure it's big blind, under the gun limper, under gun one limper, and then the uh, the MP limper call, um, and then turn is a five of hearts. It checks to the mid-position limper, mm-hmm. and he bets $25. Okay. Um, and this is one of the very weak players? Yeah, this is one of the, the weakest players at the table. And 
I think this like bet size and like just as bet here is almost always like a straight draw, flush draw, hand like jack nine, jack eight. Like it's almost always either a draw or like a very weak pair or very uncertain. Like it's a very uncertain and kind of worried hand. Um, yeah, it's a hand that is that you know you're you're likely crushing. So you know you want to get right. more money in the pot. This is true. However, if we were heads up or even three way, I'm raising this a hundred percent of the time. But I don't just like it's not just he and I in the pot. I have three people left act behind me. Wait, wait, behind you? Yeah, because oh, oh, oh uh, okay, I see. Twenty. Yeah, yeah. I got four callers, so I have three people left act behind me. So if you know I was closing out the action, or if there's just two of us, or if there's three of us, yeah, I'm going to raise it because um, I'm in pot. So he bet twenty five into, I guess after rake it would be like one twenty one or something weird like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. Um, so normally I would raise it to about so our two bets would be one seventy. So then I would raise to. I'd make it like 140 more uh, in total to so make about 115 more. Um, and that should like give, you know, his draws and everything bad odds on a call, but give them reasonable enough price where he's bad enough that he's almost always going to continue. And then also if he has a hand like a medium or uh, sorry, a weak or medium pair or, or top ki- pair weak kicker, you know, which I should beat all of his top pairs or, you know, maybe I tie queen jack occasionally. Um, you know, I should be able to pop it to 140 and do so very comfortably and have a significant edge against his range. However, when I have three people left act behind me, and let turn card actually hit some of their ranges, no one surprised me if one of the last callers could have a hand like 7-8 or 5-6 or 4-6, or, you know, they could have, you know, a flopped pair and a flush draw that turned two pair or turned an up-down straight draw or something like that. If I could raise and get three bet and have to fold. Um, I'm but also it, worried about hmm? if if you if you raise and get three bet. I I'm not too worried about folding. I think uh, you could pretty comfortably fold at that point, knowing that you have like you know a pretty like, small amount of equity. That, like, I would almost always like I would have to fold there, which kind of sucks. Um, but wouldn't you have to fold if someone raises after you call? It depends on who raised and what sizing they chose, and also I. Like, because this card hit so many people's range behind me, like, honestly, I could almost consider folding, except because my opponents behind me, um, I feel as though make pretty obvious and straightforward decisions. Generally, when I get raised, I can either make a read based off their sizing that I can call, or I can make a read based off their sizing that I can fold. So if by calling, I leave myself more options than if I raise. Um, also, uh, like if, like the other issue is just having three people behind and having that card hit all of their ranges is that, you know, the likelihood that that card smashed one of their hands is pretty high. So that my hand has a ton of equity on four ways or five ways. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I still think because it's a limped pot and the players are as weak as you say they are and are likely going to play pretty straightforward, I think by not making a raise, you're missing some value. I, I definitely agree that in a heads-up pot, I would make like a more pot-sized raid like you suggested before. But I think like a smaller yeah. raise here when you could pretty comfortably fold to a 3-bet 
is the best way to get value from you know all the draws that are in this hand. So yeah, like the hands you identified seven, eight, six, five, four, six. I don't know if you mentioned four or five, and then you know yeah p- ra- ra- random cards that were I suit uh you know suited two hearts and had a pair and now just turned to flush yep. draw. I think against these types of opponents, any hand that's worse than yours that has a draw they're going to call and you're going to get a lot of value by raising. Uh, and maybe they would just flat call a raise with like a four or five. Um, hmm. But I the think... The issue I'm seeing with that is that all, all that's true. Like you're suggesting that I raise small. but Raise like 80, raise 80, 80 small, or 90, yeah. Right, when I raise to like 80 or 90... I'm giving all the like the hands that are like combo draws. I'm giving them all proper odds. So I'm not really gaining any equity from them. Well, like there are very few hands that I'm really gaining equity on. The only hands I'm really gaining equity on is if you know someone decides to call behind with like Jack Ten or Jack Nine or Jack Eight um, or something like that, which I guess is possible, but not entirely that likely. Um, but you're still a favorite I guess, against the combo I guess draws. Might occur yeah, I'm. You still want to get more money them. in. You I'm know? a favorite against them, but I'm just giving them, you know, really good odds on their draws. Um, I guess the only the main upside is that it, since a lot of them are probably sharing ranges, is that maybe that card because of just like you know how like how many hands they're all sharing that maybe that card doesn't improve their equity as much. And then when I do like if I do get called twice they're probably also sharing so many outs that it probably drops their overall equity. Yeah. So then maybe my hand against their ranges is probably a little bit higher than what I'm thinking. I also think that, that like the, the kind of logic you're using that you're giving them the proper odds to call. That is true, but you're also, that's better than the alternative of, of just calling 25 and then letting them hit their draw for just 25, you know? Uh, right. So I, I think here it's one of these cases where, you know, maybe not a large majority of the time, but a majority of the time, you're going to mm-hmm. have the best hand here, and you're going to want to, yeah. you know, yeah, I was blow ex- the pot and get value. I mean, value. I would expect to have yeah. the best hand here probably around half the time, maybe a little bit over, with yeah. three people left. So I think it, 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 you know, it's definitely a little bit higher variance, but I think especially in a game like this, when you could really comfortably raise full to 80 or 90, uh, right. It's 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 a move that you'd make, and then you basically, you know, are going to be in position on all on the river, and you know if if a card comes and there's a one card straight out there, and someone bets you know large, you can very comfortably fold. If the right. heart comes in, you could comfortably fold, and if it bricks out, you could even maybe make like a really small thin value bet. Get some right. more. That's true. Yeah, I don't mind raising small. I guess for those reasons, I didn't really even think about that. Um, in game at least. Um. And actually, and outside of game, like, while I see there being some slight issues with it, I see that the advantages of it kind of outweighs, you know, calling to some degrees that even though it's slightly higher variance, it's kind of a, a good option to have here, even though that card's a really, really bad card. It's just, like, it's such a weird spot. It's not a spot that I've really encountered before. You know, in mm-hmm. tournaments, it's not really something that you see. You don't really see something like this. So it's definitely a unique spot that I haven't really been in, especially as like, you know, I'm more of a tournament player. I don't know if you uh, listeners, I don't know if you have like a buyer or anything on me, but I'm like, 
I'm a mid to high stakes tournament player. I mostly play online. When I do play live, I tend to play like there's some softer stuff that I play in, but you know most of the softer stuff that I play in, you don't really have that much like five way pots. You don't really have that much open limping. You don't really have these like tiny bets. So like it's definitely a very different spot that I haven't really ever been in before, or had to really approach before, which is really cool about it. And also why I've been starting to play live cash um, and also learning live PLO is, you know, it's definitely testing me. It's making me think uh, differently, you know, learn different thought processes and theories and definitely help advance and grow my game. Um, so yeah, I definitely do like raising small. Um, I decide to call based off of, you know, the reasonings that I had before as to why I shouldn't. Um, but I do like raising small. I definitely agree with that. Um, and we got, I think everyone called. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that doesn't, you know, even if someone has a hand like 6-8, um, you know, once it's only $25, like, no yeah, one's ever 100%. folding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the river card, best card in the deck for us, and by that I mean it's probably the worst card in the deck for us, it's the Eight of Hearts. It checks to the MP1 who bets twenty five bucks again. Uh, my first reaction is just this: is, this is an easy fold. I think yeah. a really small percentage of the time you're gonna fold, and like everyone will fold, or like one person will call, and somehow you would have had the best hand. But I think, despite the great pot outs you're getting, it's just so rare, given you know uh, how their ranges are that not one person has better than top pair after this. Yeah, that was my thought process. But I tanked a pretty long time and actually strongly considered calling. But it's just it hits everyone so hard. And also, there's a chance that I could just get bluffed off the best hand anyways. And of course, we had the one scenario where we would have won a curve, which is it folds to the the, the second limper, the guy who is a weak rag, who calls correctly with 9-8 of spades for rivered second pair and beat ace of spades ten of club yeah you know yeah <laughs> I, again the 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 one consideration here is so so what is what is the pot on the river uh it's like 245 or something yeah 245 and you bet 25 into it so i'm getting 11 one yeah, so the question Which I still think like I still think it's a fold. It's just it's really silly. Like just the entire hand is a very unique and weird spot that I really haven't been in before. Like I definitely think the river is just like it has to be a fold just because it hits everyone ever like so many people pick up two pairs and straights. Yeah. And... I I also think that compounding this is the fact that the person who bet 25 um in my experience with a weaker recreational player who's making these small bets like, I think it's very rare that they show up with a bluff the way they did here, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think... I agree with that as well. I think 25 is more likely going to be, like, a two-pair that is deathly afraid of straights and hearts, or even, like... Yeah, I was know, kind of expecting as well. Or, like, even sometimes, like, a weirdly played, like, nut hearts that was trying to induce a raise. Uh, hmm. But it's just so rare for someone to, like, take the aggressive action, even if it's such little money in a five-way pot. Yep. So, yeah, I think I think it's probably a fold, but it's one of these unfortunate scenarios where you kind of feel like an idiot. But Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's what I did, and I folded. I agreed. It was definitely a fold. 
So that was just like a weird hand that I had. Uh, I was like, I don't know, three nights ago or something like that in this amazing 2-5 game. Yeah, that's and so for any any listeners uh, who disagree with us here who think that's a, a call, I'd love to hear, you know, why. I think it's definitely it's definitely close, you know. And when you're getting 11-1, to 1, it's never going to be – like when you have a hand like this, it's always going to be close. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, could, I could definitely be swayed another another way. I'm, I'm sure, but for now, yeah, I'm, I'm liking I'm liking the fold, Ryan. I'm glad you at least agreed with uh, two streets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and on on the turn, like, get, you know, given given your background, the fact you're playing tournaments, it it does make sense that I think a, a raise here is going to be less of a consideration, and you have these scenarios a, a lot where you kind of have this like medium, maybe medium high strength value hand. And you have these like large fields where maybe half the time, a little more than half the time your hand is good. And there's a lot of draws. Mm. And I think most players, even like a lot of regs typically don't make these thin raises, but I think it's raises. (laughs) Those thin raises are like where a lot of like your win rate is going to come from in these soft two, five games. It's definitely higher variance, but it's one of these scenarios where, you'll find yourself in multi-way pots where like your equity against their ranges is such that you should raise even if a lot of the time you're going to get blown off the hand or mm-hmm. uh, or they're going to call and they're going to be ahead of you or call and hit. But, yeah. Makes sense. Okay, so I've got another hand if you want to discuss one more. Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay, so the other hand is... So I have ace-king offsuit in the big blind um, under the gun, who is one of the other weaker regs at the table. But he's like an interesting... He's an interesting guy. He's a, um, he's a much older gentleman. He's probably in like his 70s. Um, so I've played a decent amount of hours at this casino, Potawatomi. But this was the first time I'd played in probably three years there. And the guy who was on my left and who who limped under the gun um you know essentially any time i've played there he's been there um he's like he's generally somewhat loose passive but he's willing to get aggressive in interesting situations like i saw him pull a triple barrel bluff where he three bet bluffed king nine suited then triple barreled on five five eight five like deuce and showed king nine okay so that's that's really yeah, that's really important because when but I think of most... like weak seventy-year-old reg, I don't think of someone who three bet yeah. king nine suited, let alone yeah, barreling like, three times. Like I said, he's he's very different as far as like that uh, that kind of like stereotype goes. He doesn't he doesn't necessarily fall under it, but for the most part, he plays in a very like straightforward passive manner. It's just every once in a while he'll just like lose his mind, but he almost always does it post flop. I've never seen him do anything like massively weird preflop. Now I haven't played with him for three years. This is the first time I've played with him in three years. But I do remember playing a lot with him. So I've we've got history. Um and the thing is is that he and I have also always been like really friendly and nice. And you know we've been discussing and you know that kind of stuff uh throughout let's see I'd probably bounce the table maybe three and a half hours at this point. Um and you know he and I were very friendly, which I also think matters a bit here. Um, so he limps. I believe there are, I want to say, three other limpers. And 
the one of the other weak regs and is in the small blind the sand and he's a very very aggressive weak reg um goes kind of nuts in spots um and he raises to 25 and i three bet my ace king to 85 i'm sitting 450 um the reg the weak reg wait, on my wait, wait. right before, has over before we move 1, on ryan let's yeah. talk about the sizing there so what what are, what are you thinking about when you're making it uh 85 and uh what what were there the any sizing, other sizing you considered i actually considered smaller um but the reason why i went 85 is because you know with all the extra limpers out there the pot size is already like you know fairly decent and i think Almost no matter what sizing I make it between like 65 and maybe like almost as high as 100, that the reg who raised to 25, that his range isn't going to change significantly. So I think while his range is obviously somewhat elastic, I don't think it's that elastic between, you know, like 65 and like 85 for the most part. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go on the largest side of it. Um, Essentially, I wanted a sizing which I thought that uh, the guy who raised to 25 could like try to bluff against or continue wide against. You know, I want to keep his range as wide as possible. Really, he's my focus in this hand. Okay. Um, I didn't really have a focus on anyone else in this hand. Yeah, and do you... As a guy who makes 25. Yep. You think there's any merit against this particular player because you said he likes to get really aggressive in raising smaller to induce a light 4-bet? Uh, or is that not I actually really in the guy's arsenal? That, um, no, I thought light 4-bets would be in his arsenal, but if I go small, I think they're less in his arsenal. Mm, okay interesting i think he, like just because like um i haven't played that i haven't played this well now this guy i haven't played that many hours with but it seems more apt that you know he could like read some things and the sizings and stuff and that he it seemed to me that he would be more aggressive in spots where he viewed someone was you know weak or was trying to sell strength um and i don't think that he sees much of a difference between like really between 65 and like 85. Um, normally I would make it about 75 here. Mm-hmm. Um, 10 generally just 3x in position. Um, you know, 90 big blinds deep, you know, it's pretty standard for me. Um, you know, if we were a lot deeper, I'd still probably actually against this guy make it only 85, to be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, if I was as deep as he was, 1,000 deep, 85. But I don't think it really matters that much, me being 450 and him sitting 1,000. Okay, and yeah, um, the, the only other sizing consideration I might throw out there, based on what you said, is, you know, if if you think light four bets are in his arsenal, uh, and you know we'll read a smaller sizing as strong, then I I, I would maybe consider betting like a hundred or a hundred ten to more yeah. likely induce that four bet. The only problem is then you're balancing that versus like all the hands that he'll just, you know, he might do that a higher percent of the time, but then he might also fold. A higher right. percentage of the time, which is what you don't like, want. So yeah, eighty five is yeah, probably probably okay. the the right size for this guy. Yeah, um, yeah. I think you could argue as low as seventy and as high as like ninety for the most part against this specific guy. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the under the gun limper, the other guy, the old guy, he very quickly, which I think this is the most key part of this, is his speed. I would say he took less than five seconds and. Four bet to one ninety. Hold hmm. to the small blind who folds, and it's on me. Yeah, I mean, you gave me one. The only example you gave me, 
sneaky three bet light with king nine suited. So I'm obviously mm-hmm. a little biased in that regard. But I I think uh, given the speed and all the other attributes about the guy, even if occasionally he blows up, you mentioned he mainly blows up post flop. Yeah. So I think. But I've seen from what I remembered. Yeah, I I still think generally in live poker, especially at the two five level, um, you know, it's fine to err on the side of he probably has it in a spot like this. Uh, yep. So yeah, I think I'm I'm pretty comfortably folding here. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yep, I did as well. Um, if he'd tanked, honestly, if he'd tanked as long as like thirty seconds, I'm probably just putting it in his eye. But like with how fast he did it, I honestly thought that I could very comfortably remove all bluffs and also remove ace king and ace like ace queen for value, but like remove ace king from his range as well and remove jack. So I think his range for doing it is just queens plus and ended up folding and he showed me queens. Yeah, and honestly, like it's it's always which tough. Made me feel good about the fold, which made me feel good about the fold, not bad. Like, yeah, it no, sucks that he happened to have the one hand that I'm flipping against. But like, if he'd shown me like nines, I would have been like, "Ah, why did I fold?" Like when he shows me a hand that is solidly within the range that I think he has, and that I think that he just has incredibly strong value there, even though it's one I'm flipping against, I am very, very happy to see it and get to know that my fold was correct. And he actually told me after the hand, like maybe 20 minutes later that his range for doing it did not have ace-king in it or jack in it. Yeah, uh, well, well, I wouldn't always... I guess maybe from a 70-year-old reg, uh, maybe they're going to be more truthful than the average person. I personally, you know, it's really hard for me to tell the truth at the poker table when someone asks, uh, and I tend not to believe most people. But there are some people who generally, especially... I tend to believe people who I am legitimately very friendly with, and when they okay. also are weaker, like either very weak regs or or just recreational players, mm-hmm. um, which is like kind of part of the reason why the majority of the time that I play live, like either I'm just focused and listening to music and not really paying that much attention, or like when I am like at the table for the most part, I do try my best to be talkative and friendly and nice, you know, try to be entertaining and try to get on the good side of people. And it's, A, it's because I want to build a good atmosphere, and I think it's a lot more fun to have that atmosphere playing poker. And B, also, it earns me a lot of information that I normally wouldn't get if I was just another, you know, 2-5 robot with hoodies, sunglasses, listening to music, and ignoring people and being kind of an ass. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, and I, I think in terms of the information, though, there really is, like, a person who will tell the truth 99% of the time, and there's not much kind of, like, in the middle like, I don't think there's a lot right. of people who, like, tell the truth sometimes and lie sometimes. I think it's right. usually, like, one type of person. And generally, mm-hmm. yeah, like you said, if you're being friendly and you're talking with people and showing a genuine interest, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in their lives, uh, then I think uh, it'll it'll be easy enough to, to tell kind of which player is which. Um, right. Yeah. Definitely. So, yeah, good... Uh, Good fold, and, and the, the one thing I was going to say about the queens before was not like, oh, like, queen should make you mad, but it's more of like, I'm even right. surprised that that's in his five-second, you know, four-bet range, you know? I would guess, based on the description you gave, like, it's king-king, ace-ace, 
the vast, vast majority of the time. And having a hand like Queens or Jacks or Ace King would merit a, a longer tank. But, you know, every, everyone's different. And you did kind of give me a hand where he, I don't know if he blew up or took a really good spot when he doesn't usually, but there's definitely a. The point nine ended up working and he showed it. And yeah. I honestly thought that it was a really good spot to do it. And I was very surprised to see him do it. I yeah. Was, he definitely went up a notch in my mind after seeing that. Um, but like, yeah, I've seen him do that kind of stuff in the past, but I thought that was a really good spot for him to do it. And honestly, like, even though he did it really quickly, like, and even though technically Queen should, isn't necessarily in like that fast of a, oh, I've got strong value for him. It's definitely a, he already knew what he had and it wasn't the, he didn't know his hand. It was, he knew his hand had a plan and then just went with the plan. No, exactly. But, and I guess... I guess my my thing is the the type of person who's going to have the plan to limp free raise no matter the action in front of them will probably mm-hmm. only do that with aces or kings, not queens in my experience. Right. But yeah, yeah, I guess that's true too. Yeah, I could see that. It's like aces, kings, or bluffs. Yeah, yeah, and I I know I know for me like I'm typically don't really have a limp free raising range, but when mm-hmm. I do, it's typically aces, kings, and suited aces. You know. I like that. Okay, well, uh, Ryan, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners or, or plug in, in your final moments? Um, for those of you who uh, don't know, I do a lot of coaching. Um, I focus on Nolman Hold'em tournament coaching, Palom Omaha High-Low coaching, um, and can coach some live cash as well. Um, but my website is uh, pokerpotential.com. Um, I'm utterly booked until end of september but if you contact me end of september you can maybe get a time slot sometime in october if you're lucky um yeah that's really about it oh also my twitter is at potential mn thanks for having me on i really do appreciate it and i had a lot of fun yeah thanks ryan and for everyone listening uh if you're trying to up your tournament game definitely go study with ryan and give give him a shout um Okay. Uh, Have a great day, Ryan. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks. You too. Bye. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I've got several things I'd like to share with you guys. Uh, The first thing I'm really excited about is uh, tomorrow night, Wednesday, I'm going to be streaming on Twitch from 9 to 11 Eastern Standard Time. If you go to twitch.tv and search for Just Hands Poker, uh, you should find our channel, and the stream will be hosted there. And that's from 9 to 11 Eastern Standard Time. So that'll be me playing a couple of tables on Bovada and just talking about strategy, answering questions, and we'll see what else we get into. Uh, But yeah, come check that out. Uh, Also, a reminder to check out our website, JustHandsPoker.com. There you'll find information on our first live event we're hosting with a World Series of Poker Main Event champion, Greg Raymer. Um, more information about that is on the site. And then finally, one thing we have not uh, asked you guys yet is to subscribe to us and review us on iTunes. Uh, this helps our rankings. Uh, we appear sooner in searches. So yeah, if you guys like the show uh, and are already listening to it, then please subscribe. And if you really like it, uh, leave us a review. All right, thank you guys so much. Uh, remember to check out the second part of the show, uh, the Ryan LaPlante interview. And yeah, we'll see you guys next week.